You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, thank you so much for stories and good stories and the way you speak to our hearts through stories. We thank you even for the example of King David and the way you spoke to him, as we'll hear about next week, through the story that Nathan told him about the little lamb. And so we ask, Lord, through through the story of film in general and this film in particular, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our hearts about things that you care about and that you would give us eyes to see you in a new way. We thank you, Lord, above all, for your rescuing us in Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that that rescue would be underlined above all in uh, the way we look at this film. And so we ask all of this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're... um, Oh, no, I'm going. Okay. So glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you've come to hear about this movie, which a lot of people are... um, It's not this movie. This is just Frozen on Kate Blanchett from Thor Ragnarok, and you'll see why in a minute. But... um, a lot of people it, might not know what this movie was about. I, I told someone I was teaching on Black Panther, and they said they thought I meant the Black Panther movement in the 1960s. And I was like, wow, I am impressed that you know more about that than you know about the movie that scored the biggest box office proceeds in, in ages. I, I was very impressed with that response. But um, So whenever I show movies, uh, sometimes I show more of the ending than other times. And so I've got to give you a little spoiler alert. It will not hurt my feelings if you get up and walk out. But I am going to touch a little bit on the ending of this. Not the full ending, but I'm going to look at some of the end scenes that are postscripts to the movie. Um, and I'm going to get, take you all the way up to the setup for the, the climax of trying to figure out what's going to actually happen and how the conflict will be resolved. I won't tell you how the conflict is resolved because that in and of itself is a beautiful part of the story that's well worth seeing firsthand. So just keep that in mind. Um, and I'm going to focus, I'm going to zero in on Black Panther from the angle of comic, mo- uh, comic book movies in general. So we'll start out with that. Um, if any of you have ever seen Superman or Batman or any of these movies or read the comic books, then you'll know that there are two different comic book universes, or at least two, but two big ones. The Marvel Universe, which contains Captain America, and, um, and also, of course, Iron Man. And um, there were a lot of movies that came out in the last year and a half in the Marvel Universe. Captain America, Civil War, Thor Ragnarok, Spider-Man the Homecoming, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, and Ant-Man and the Wasp just this summer now in now theaters, in a theater near you. So all of these, that's all since I taught on this two years ago, which is ridiculous that this many have come out in the last couple of years. They're really ramping it up. And of course, the Marvel Universe was bought by Disney, who has now now owns Star Wars, as we talked about last week. They're just rolling in the dough by making movies at such a fast rate. Um, but again, these superhero movies, they're so prolific. They also gross incredible proceeds at the box office. They are incredibly popular among people of all ages and stages. Um, and it's one of the reasons why it's important just to understand that what is going on here? What is going on with this phenomenon? Um, so one thing to just point out, a little disclaimer, if you were to try to see some of these movies, I'd always encourage you to go to a website called imdb.com. And what you'll see there is there's special 
the whole, there will be a page on each film, and the best part of the page is the critic score. And there's a, it's called a meta score. And so if the meta score is green, um, it, then it means it's above 70, 70. And anything above 70 is worth watching, in my opinion. If it's um, below 70, you better look out. You know, 50, above 50 will be okay, but maybe don't go see it in the theater. And above 60 will be good. Above 70 is probably the best one. If, you're, if you have limited time and you're thinking, well, which one do I partake of? Well, so with that in mind, Black Panther was the highest one of all of them in the last two years. Black Panther scored an 88 uh, as far as, and this is a, it combines critical scores from all sorts of different websites. So it's not just one person's opinion. Um, so not only is Black Panther highly rated, but it's also the first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to have its opening weekend box office pro, um, proceeds surpass its production cost, which is crazy. It cost, hold on, hold your breath, it cost $200 million to make the movie, and its Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday opening weekend box office was $202 million, which is ridiculous. Everybody's seen this movie. So again, it's important to see this movie. It's important to know it as we interface with other people within our culture. It's important to um, be able to engage in the language surrounding it. Also, one aspect about Black Panther itself, which of course um, is very, fairly obvious to anyone who's seen the movie, this is the first black superhero movie ever. And Black Panther was the first black superhero in comics ever, and he actually, a little known fact, he was created before the Black Panthers were created, and they thought uh, Stan Lee and the other, I forget his name, the other white man who wrote the comic book thought, we better backtrack, we don't necessarily want this to be confused with the movement, and so they tried to change his name to Black Leopard, but it didn't stick, so they had to go back to Black Panther. So, um, so again, this is a movie where more than, the majority of the cast and crew is African American, and or African. And um, one of the one of the only white actors in it said, "I guess this is what most black actors feel on most of all of the other sets," which was really interesting that he said that. Um, was, that was that the Was that was that the African guy? Um, that was uh, Scott says that was the Hobbit. I've never seen it. From Sherlock Holmes. That guy. I forget oh. his name. Everett something or. Oh, I so the CIA agent in the movie. Um, so again, one, if you're looking for a great article, I thought it was really well written by um, an African-American reflecting on the movie. I'd encourage you to, um, it's Jamil, Jamil Smith, J-A-M-I-L Smith on time.com. Time Magazine wrote an interesting article about this all. And he says about this movie, Hollywood has never produced a blockbuster this splendidly black. Um, basically, this is a way of breaking through in some really good ways. I think Hollywood producers, all older white male men, have said, "Well, we've got to only we've got to assume that only black people are going to see a movie that's like this." And this has just proven them, proven them patently false. That um, people of all different cultures and races will see movies of all different types, um, and so that's kind of encouraging in some ways. Um, one other little plug for the movie, and this is from Mockingbird, the Mockingbird website. Sarah Condon, who's a friend of the Advent, wrote about this um, movie also, and one of her points was really helpful, 
which was that um, for children, for little girls who are looking up for role models from these superhero movies, which again, this is part of the bread and butter of it, is that there's a franchise, there are um, there are little toy figurines and costumes and all of these things that children get into. And for little girls trying to look up to someone, it's so much better for them to look up to the women in this movie than to look up to Wonder Woman, who is scantily clad and not very intelligent, whereas the women in this movie are strong and incredible and uh, it, it make wise clothing decisions. I mean, she made. <laughs> I can't commend you enough. Sarah Condon's article is very funny and very good. Well, so again, okay, merits of the comic book genre in general. Two big things strike me about the merits of comic book movies in general. Number one, there is a strong sense of good and evil fighting each other. And this is a good thing. We're going to talk about why it's a good thing. I'm going to start you off. This is from Thor Ragnarok. Kate Blanchett, who's the best villain, uh, villain ever because she's such a good actor, is playing the evil older sister of Thor who's trying to claim the throne from him. So let's just see a minute of their interaction here. Have you? I stand by your angry and mom my sister and technically have the claim to the throne. And believe me, I would love for someone else to rule, but it can't be you. You're just the worst. <laughs> okay, get off. You're in my seat. Your father once told me the wise king never seeks after all. But must always be ready You get a sense for it, right? There's this sense of good and evil battling each other. This is typical of the whole genre. There's banal like writing in between it. The dialogue is just sort of like, it's funny, we laughed, but you also got to roll your eyes at it majorly. But there is a sense of good and evil. And in recent years, they've been a little bit more um, nuanced in that you have some sense of what makes the villains evil, what has led them over to the dark side. We were talking about that last week. But what has led them over into destructive actions? And usually it's some kind of suffering um, and rejection from an early age. So it's very interesting. It's getting a little bit more nuanced. But um, the good guys always win. They always beat the bad guys. And there's something so reassuring about this. Um, there have been studies done by psychologists. It's interesting and important to reflect on what kind of TV or what kind of movies do you watch in your free time. If you're someone who watches, like for example, um, Law and Order. My parents we had a phase where they just loved Law and Order all the time. It's like half an hour, I forget how long that show is, half an hour, an hour, and yet they always get the bad guys. There are really bad things that happen out there, but it always gets tied up by the end. And there's something about that that's deeply, um, deeply helpful for us in a world where we don't get to see the ending yet sometimes to our problems. We don't get to have things tied up in a little bow. It's actually reassuring to see that kind of closure and to see good triumph over evil. This is one of the great things as a Christian is we have the long view of Christian history. And we know that Jesus Christ will return. We know that the, that. Satan will be defeated once and for all. And so victory is the end of the story. 
for us as Christians. And so there's something about that that's good and something to point to in our culture that is so enamored of moral relativism um, and so um, uncertain about the future and uncertain of how to deal with evil and suffering in our world. So as one Christian comic book maker, this is a Christian who writes comic books, what he says is that um, this is about comic books in general, but he looks at good and evil. He says, superhuman powers, flawed heroes that overcome with supernatural assistance, dystopian societies, good versus evil. Do any of these themes sound familiar to us as regular readers of scripture? And the answer is, of course they do. Of course they do. And it's interesting that these films can tap into the truth of the fact that these are realities in, in the world and that we have this need to know that good will triumph over evil. So that's the first thing. The second thing is always with these films, almost always, there is a sense that the hero somehow has to become willing or is willing to sacrifice himself on behalf of the welfare for those who are weaker than himself. And you see this throughout every single um, every single movie. Just two recent ones, Logan is a good movie about the X-Men universe, and, um, and Logan himself has retired from being Wolverine. He doesn't want to fight anyone anymore, and yet trouble seeks him out, of course. And the question is, will he help someone weaker than himself? Will he use his powers for good sacrificially, even though it might um, really not be pleasant for him and not what he would want to do? And you see this even in Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is now in theaters. Um, the Ant-Man is not a great hero. <laughs> He's not meant to be a great hero, but um, his romantic counterpart challenges him at one point and just says, you're too selfish to do this. When are you going to start caring about anyone but yourself? Um, and so that challenge, he of course rises to that challenge in a beautiful way. Um, so again, that second component, first there's a strong sense of good and evil. Second, the hero has to become willing to sacrifice himself on behalf of those who are weaker than him. Um, a couple different thoughts, just a little f funny points. I observe, I haven't read this anywhere, but I think there are three different types of superheroes. Number one, there's the self-made hero. And um, Iron Man and Batman, with all of their gadgets, are an example of the self-made hero, uh, hero. Iron Man is a hero because of his wealth and ingenuity. And Bruce Wayne, Batman, is a hero because of his wealth and the suffering he experienced as a young boy that leads him on a quest for judge justice, which verges at times on revenge. But, um, but the problem with Batman and Iron Man is that they don't have any powers from outside of themselves. They're sort of self-made men. They've gotten to where they are based on their own wealth or their own intelligence. Um, and that's not necessarily a gospel story for us. That would be a Pelagian story, but not a gospel story. Um, Bruce Wayne admits this even in the most recent Batman movie called Justice League. And what are your superpowers again? I'm rich. <laughs> I know that was really short, but it's good, right? <laughs> that, that's it. What are your superpowers? I'm rich. So um, one writer uh, um, agrees with me that Batman does not fit the archetype of the hero that humanity actually needs. Trenton Henriksen writes, Bruce Wayne is not the savior the world needs, but he is the savior we want. We want to believe in a self-made man because we want to believe that it's possible for us to attain that. And yet that's not realistic based on the truth with a capital T of the true story of scripture. So again, we've got to move on from the self-made man. He's not the type of hero that will be um, point us to the gospel. A mutant, this is just a sub-note. Mutants are, I would say, number two. People that are born with supernatural um, 
abilities or made that way or made that way against their will. So again, Wolverine would be like that as well as Captain America. And then the third genre is my favorite genre, of course, would be the third type of superhero is someone totally other, where someone or something totally alien or superhuman comes in from outside of our world and breaks in. This, of course, the best example of this is Superman. It's Superman, right? He's an alien, and he has all of these incredible powers. Everybody loves him. He saves everybody. It's, it's just a beautiful story of our need for someone to break into our world. Somebody help me. Somebody rescue me. And um, the world doesn't like this idea, and critics don't like this idea. You see this even um, having studied Shakespeare during my time as an actor. You see this, the least favorite plays among those who are in the business, or the plays that people look down upon, are the comedies and the romances, which have this uptick and happy ending at the end. And the, one of the reasons that people are um, upset about them is because of this feature within drama, all drama, called the deus ex machina, which is this big, fancy, Latin, I think it's Latin, word for God breaking in, God the machine breaking in, that there is this somehow this um, aspect of the plot world that there's just this totally perpendicular thing that happens. A great example of this is in Comedy of Errors, one of Shakespeare's comedy, romantic comedies, where at the ending, everything is all messed up. There's a mix-up of identities. Someone even dies, and they're just, the gods break in. I think it's Jupiter comes in and sets everything all right, sets everything right and then leaves, and there's a happy ending. And people think that this is really lazy of Shakespeare. That's why they don't like it, because he's relying on God or a God to break in and change things instead of having human beings trying to work it out for themselves, which is so fascinating that the world doesn't like it. The world doesn't like that. But we as Christians love it because that's our story, that God breaks in when we most need um, help and saving. Black Panther, then, is a little bit of all three of these types. Chadwick Boseman is the name of the actor who plays um, the Black Panther. He first appeared in Avengers Age of Ultron as Prince T'Challa of Wakanda. Um, He's a character whose superpowers derive from alien technology combined with a seemingly spiritual alien healing powers. So he's able to heal from all of his wounds. He also, this alien-derived herb that he ingests, um, and he's been ingesting it for years, and it's part of his inheritance as the royal line of this country to be able to do this. This herb gives him superhuman strength, senses, intellect, reflexes, and agility, as well as the access. I didn't realize this until I got on some nerd websites. He has access to all the knowledge, strength, and experiences of each previous Black Panther throughout his ancestry. So he's the descendant in a long line of kings who have held this role. It's one of the titles of the King of Wakanda. So he is, again, he's, um, he rises to be king. Um, his role as king is part hereditary and part earned. He had to fight um, with any challengers and defeat them in order to inherit what was other, otherwise rightfully his. Um, so, and he also, he knows how to use the merits of the alien metal vibranium, which is found only in this special country of Wakanda to his advantage. So he's a little bit of a self-made man, but the herb has clearly mutated him somehow. And I believe that the alien aspect is part of what brings in this deus ex machina. Like, he's too good to be human. Like, there's, he's such a good superhero that you're like, this is so unbelievable. There's no way. And a lot of the sequences are CGI'd, unfortunately. When you see it again on a small screen, 
it's a little underwhelming. But um, <laughs> but he's really good at what he does. Okay, so finally, I'm going to show the t the trailer to Black Panther. Just a little um, disclaimer: it's hard. Some the, there are a lot of people that speak with an accent in this movie, so just listen as carefully as you can. It's going to be hard. Scott and I always watch everything with subtitles on because we have to watch it on a low rate so that Althea doesn't wake up and hear us. But all that to say, do do what you can. Tell me something. What do you know about Wakanda? It's a third world country. Textiles, shepherds, co-outfits, all front. Explorers have searched for it. Call it El Dorado. They looked for it in South America. I'm the only one who's seen it and made it out alive. music along the big soundtrack too as you can tell so again the st plot story is that um, Black Panther's reigning king his father was killed in one of the previous movies so T'Challa the main character returns home after living abroad and um, he fights in hand-to-hand -hand combat against a challenger in the in while all five tribes that make up the country are watching in order to um, and he does it unaided by his superhuman powers from the alien herb he succeeds, and so the movie starts with him beginning to determine what kind of reign he will have. Um, and out of concern for their continued anonymity in the world, world stage, again, rest, the rest of the world thinks this is a third world country, and yet they have these barriers, um, unseen barriers, that don't allow any outsiders to come in and see what their nation is really like. Um, and so um, they try to track down someone who's challenging their anonymity, that um, character played by Andy Serkis, Gollum, if you're not sure, Gollum was there um, in the first scene. He's stolen some of the Wakandan metal, and he's, um, he's trying to, he turns out, trying to bring them out um, to be able to, um, to get more vibranium, which is this incredible metal that does cool things. That's my take on it. But, um, and there's a man who was working with this guy, who, um, this mysterious man who apprehends 
that bad guy, the white bad guy in the first scene, he apprehends him and he comes to Wakanda and he says, I have conquered, I've done what your king failed to do, I've conquered this threat to our security. And then he proceeds to make a claim for the throne himself. And, um, and so from there, that's where a lot of the conflict begins. And he actually, he's, turns out he's the prince, he's the new king's first cousin. And the king's father killed his father. And he has grown up in Oakland, California, a son of Wakandan ancestry, and yet he is really angry. And he goes into the Marines and he learns how to fight and kill, um, and he has a real violent heart. Um, and so he's, um, he's, he has a different view of how Wakanda should be in the world. So just a couple thoughts. Um, some of my favorite parts, how many people have seen the movie so far? Okay, only a handful. Well, I can encourage more people to go see it. Some of my favorite parts of the movie that may or may not have theological import, but I just love the stunning beauty of the production. Um, one commentator calls it Afrofuturism, which is really cool. Visually, they sought to be as accurate as possible to real African tribes in their dress, in their language, in the weapons that they would have used, in animals that they would have revered. Um, and then they take them forward, as the production designer says, she tried to evolve them and imagine what they would look like with futuristic technology. Um, it's really cool. <laughs> it's, so that is this huge coolness factor to the film. Um, I love it because I love cultures. I mean, I love my, the first mission trip I ever took was to India and to see the vibrancy of their dress and the food that they ate and just how drastically different it was from everything I'd ever known made me in awe of wondering what it would be like to be in heaven with people of Indian descent and get to partake of the best Indian food you've ever had. I think that would be a part of heaven, the best Indian food you've ever had. And the beauty of all of the different kinds of dress. In India, the colors are vibrant and the women are unabashedly wearing the brightest colors you've ever seen. And that's true in this movie as well. So there's something beautiful about it. Revelation 21 talks about this reality that at the end of all things, when the new Jerusalem descends and heaven and earth are remade and the lamb is the light of the city of God, then the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into the holy city. And I've always prayerfully wondered, this is Deborah's take on that verse, but I, I do think that part of the glory and the honor involve, yes, riches and gold and whatever, but more than that, the beauty of the distinctiveness of each of these different cultures will be preserved in heaven. Somehow we'll see someone wearing um, uh, a sari and someone else wearing an African descent costume. Those, and we'll maybe we'll wear our, our pearls and sweater sets, and maybe we'll. <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful? Or maybe we'll get to wear a sari. I mean, these kinds of things are beautiful to think about for me. So that's one of my favorite parts. Also, the fact that this is the first black superhero movie is really important. Um, just when when Barack Obama was um, elected president, all politics aside. I remember my father and, and mother were ministering in an all-black community, and they said that they were so overwhelmed by how many children were amazed and said, I could, I could become president someday. Now that there's a black president, I realize I too could, I could see myself doing this, and I could aspire to do this. I could go to school and really strive. And that, that's a beautiful thing. Politics aside and the content of, you know, political parties and policies imposed um, from presidents, 
that's a beautiful thing. And that right there was really exciting to me um, several years ago. But that's true about this too. Little children everywhere. Little someone, someone, um, one person who loved this movie rented out a whole movie theater in Mississippi, and she said she did it so that all the little brown boys and girls who couldn't afford to see the movie would be able to walk in and see a superhero that looked like them. That's beautiful. That's great. So I love that about it. Um, Plot-wise, I love that there is this coming-of-age moment, this disillusionment, disillusionment with fathers. Even some of the best leaders have moral failures, which we've talked about this morning through our sermon. And coming-of-age in many um, films that deal with that theme of coming-of-age, uh, coming and for us as real human beings, coming-of-age always involves realizing that those we look up to are less than perfect. And even those we look up to are deeply flawed. And you see this in the film um, where T'Challa has to come to grips with what his father has done um, and realize what his father has done. And there's um, a scene here where we hear a little bit about this. The bad guy, so so to speak, challenges Black Panther, the good guy, the king of Wakanda, the new king. Um, So let me just, I'm going to just zip this ahead a little bit so we don't watch all of it. Here we go. Here he comes. This is Killmonger is the character's name or nickname. Delta, speak. I'm staying in your house, serving justice to a man who stole your vibranium and murdered your people. Justice your team couldn't deliver. that this clash between ways of dealing with um, inequality Um, the bad guy here makes some good points that the good guys are all comfortable and not engaged in the world and even um, the good guy um, the Black Panthers right-hand woman and love interest Nakia um, she has said the same thing earlier on maybe it's time for Wakanda to engage with the rest of the world and when we see her first in the movie she's actually she is a spy having been captured by Boko Haram or something like Boko Haram and she's trying to free those girls from that kind of oppression um, right there in one of the neighboring kingdoms one of the neighboring nations so she has this heart for engagement with the world so does he even in his misguided way so the question is do you solve inequality and other problems in the world with violence or with um, more peaceful means including education 
the director, Ryan Coogler, who actually grew up in Oakland, California, like, um, like, the, like the bad guy in the movie, he describes the film's central theme as responsibility and identity. He asks, what do the powerful owe those in need? It separates the good guys from the villains. villains. What value is strength unless you're using it to help someone? Wakanda pretends to be just another struggling African country, but some of its neighbors are struggling for, re for real. If Wakandans don't stand up for themselves, who will? But if they stand only for themselves, then who are they? There is a change that happens in, um, in the king's approach to engagement with those in need around him, whether they be people of the same color or all people, even as um, Killmonger said, if life started here, then aren't all people your people? Um, and that, I think that statement stands regardless of color, regardless of race. There is this challenge for those who have this special, um, special weaponry, special technology, special ability to heal, to be able to share that with the rest of the world. And so I take that, and I would take it another step forward. I think the film itself um, as a, is a challenge. It's a challenge for everyone. The film is a challenge, and here are a couple of challenges. The film is a challenge for wealthy black people to engage in ministering to maybe African Americans who don't have the same kind of resources that they have. Um, as members of the same race, there's that challenge and that, um, that sometimes it's hard for people. But I would also say the challenge is for all of us. The challenge is for the USA, maybe as a nation, to engage in ministry to nations of all colors to be able to work together to alleviate violence, oppression, and poverty. We have so many more resources than the rest of the world. All of that liberal language about the 99 and the 1% um, was all done within a national standpoint. There's this national concern over who's the 1%, but actually when you look at the world economy, almost most Americans are actually in the 1% of the whole world's economy. And so there is this concern that we as Americans would be um, would have a heart for those in need all around the world, and that we'd be willing to put our own resources, um, which we've been given by God, to be able to uh, minister to others and alleviate others. And third, I, the, there are probably many more challenges, but the third challenge I would say is for Christians. We have such a spiritual wealth as those who know the truth with a capital T, and we have a challenge here to engage in sharing our spiritual wealth, the spiritual wealth of the gospel, with those who have never heard. It's so easy to stay ensconced in our comfortable little kingdom, in our comfortable world, without reaching out in ways that are uncomfortable, without reaching out sacrificially. And this is a challenge for us um, not to hold on to what we have in fear, but rather to let go of it, to put our trust in um, the only one we have to fear, the Lord himself to trust him in giving sacrificially um, for, the, for the sake of others. And so this challenge, this challenge to give sacrificially, this challenge to let go of walls and borders and, um, and building up and amassing resources, this challenge begins first and foremost with looking within, with repenting of our own selfishness, and even sometimes repenting of the selfish acts of our forefathers. And T'Challa, the main character of the Black Panther, does this. He rejects his father's violent action. He rejects his father's murder of his uncle. 
and he rejects the cover-up that happened, which was one of the main um, main things that this uh, that Killmonger was saying against him, um, the father, the son of the man who was killed. Um, so that challenge, uh, we sought to protect ourselves rather than to help others. And so confessing that and repenting of that is the first thing. But then um, sacrificial giving can only ever happen when we are receiving. The only way we ever serve others sacrificially is when we receive and receive to the uttermost from our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And there's a beautiful scene. I'm just going to do it real quick. There's a scene right here. It's a little violent. I'm not going to do all of it. We're just going to do, let me just find the right little part of it. This is when that those two men start to battle and duke it out. Killmonger is their first cousins. They both have a hereditary claim to the throne. And this man who's fought in the Marines is challenging Black Panther, now without any of his special powers, to fight. Um, And let me just say, it doesn't go well. I'm not going to show it all. You can see a little bit of it. It doesn't go well. And here's what happens. Forget the violence. It's a little violent. they give to the king. It was a hard scene for me to watch, and the reason why it was a hard scene for me to watch is I had flashbacks to, um, in some ways, watching The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I saw it in the theaters in New York City when it first came out, and I couldn't watch. I just couldn't watch. I can't watch that kind of suffering. I couldn't watch it, and I remember praying to the Lord while I was watching it, and I prayed, Jesus, I love you whether I watch this or not. (laughs) You know that. (laughs) If you want me to watch, okay, but I sort of had my hands over my face and watched through my fingers because I didn't know that it would help me love him anymore, that kind of violence, and I felt that way about the violence here. Um, Do you hear the language, is this your king? is what the victor in that moment says about the Black Panther, T'Challa, the main character. And we hear this, of course, um, when Pilate is questioning Jesus. Um, He says, oh, so you're a king. Um, He says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about about me? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. 
this movie provo- promotes um, not a kingdom of men that's promoted and a power that's held through violence, but it really promotes a different way, a different approach, um, a kind of sharing and sacrifice, uh, promoting education, um, promoting health, and you know, kind of peaceful means of strengthening those who are weak. Um, and it's beautiful, and that's the way it ends. I was going to show some of the end credits. Um, there are two scenes in the end credits, so if you do see the movie, hang on and watch the scenes because you'll see that the king of Wakanda, T'Challa, has changed his mind about how to engage with the world. No longer, um, after this encounter with this man who's bent on killing him and killing many other people in order to help people, but he's very misguided in it, and the movie shows him that way. The movie says that violence is a misguided way of bringing about equality and sharing of resources. But in the end, um, through this through this whole process of the film, you see a change in the main character. He's free now. He's free and excited to share with the rest of the world. And so it's really neat to see some of those scenes about what that looks like. Again, for us, um, in our challenge um, to reach out sacrificially to others, we must always remember that we have a true king of kings, the Lord of lords, who was willing to humble himself. He didn't hold on to what he had. As Philippians 2 says, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. Um, He was willing to let it go in order to reach out, to become one of us, and thereby to undergo rejection, suffering, and even death so that he could win us back from sin, suffering, death, and the devil. And so that is what fuels any kind of reaching out beyond our walls um, that we do, is the knowledge that we have been um, sought out by God himself in Jesus Christ. So let's pray really quick, and I'll let you go. Father, we thank you and praise you for your gracious mercy to us, that you are the one who has considered us so worthy of love that you would have come as one of us, that you would be born as a baby in Bethlehem, and then that you would be willing to die on a cross in order to redeem us. And so we thank you for that, and we ask for that you would give us courage beyond ourselves to be able to um, reach out beyond our walls to those who've never heard the gospel, to those who are in need in some kind of way around the world, no matter the color of their skin, whether they be victims of violence and oppression or um, poverty um, or a lack of basic necessities. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see your world the way that you see it. And we ask all of this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.